Well, everyone, thank you again for joining me today. Another episode of the Ag Uncertainties. We've been doing these for more than a year. There are lots of these out there. Brent and I have been doing these about once a week. And when Brent gets busy, we get co-hosts. And this week I'm solo. I wanted to touch base on a few articles and content. We've been sharing some new questions in the Ag Forecast Network and want to just recap on where things are as we're heading into the first part of May. The first thing I wanted to talk with you about today, uh, we have posted a whole bunch of new content. And there's sort of new content about the economy, but also production here for 2021. So let's talk about some of the economic stories that we've posted. The first one I want to mention is the K-shaped problem. One of the things that viewers have reached out about is while the top line number has improved in the U.S. economy, that isn't true for everyone in the economy. And so myself and another AEI teammate, Aaron, stepped back and tried to understand or try to dive in a little bit of where the economy isn't doing as strongly as it is in others. And the reason why it's important to think about is a lot of times we focus on top line numbers like in agriculture, what is net farm income? There are just certain points in time or in history where those top line numbers, those aggregate numbers are less representative across everybody than they are in in other times. And so we want to really step back and point out where the economy maybe hasn't been as strong for some demographics or some region of the country or for some industries. In agriculture, we have this going on at the same time. Net farm income is very strong. But cash receipts, and when we look at this at the sector level, it's been struggling for cow-calf producers, where it's been rather gangbusters for row crop producers. And so this is an important phenomenon that really goes beyond the macro economy or the ag economy. It's just an, it's one of those ideas that really helps improve our thinking. And so this idea of the K-shaped problem and big aggregate and measures that might not represent uh, be as representative as we thought. Another topic we wrote about is a background piece on inflation. And I think you could have a very scary newsletter or blog or even a news article if you just put together any combination of a noun, a verb, and the word inflation. And inflation is just everywhere in our thinking, and we see it everywhere because it's at the front of our minds. And what's really important is to step back and say, well, what do you mean by inflation? So this backgrounder sets up an ag forecast network question that we've opened up asking about inflation. But there's several different measures of inflation. There's the CPI, which is probably the most common, the one listeners you are probably most familiar with. But the Federal Reserve uses another measure called the PCE or the personal consumption expenditures. These are very similar, but they have some better, very nuanced differences. CPI over the long run typically has a little higher rates of inflation. But the big difference in the measure is that CPI has sort of a fixed basket and is looking at the change in prices, where the PCE looks at what we're spending, how consumers are spending. So that basket will adjust. What it means is that PCE takes into account how consumers' behavior changes when high prices happen. So if the price of anything goes up 100 or 200 or 300%, we're just going to buy fewer units of those and we're going to spend our money in a little bit different way. So that's captured in there. But the challenge with the PCE is it takes some time to measure and that basket can change as consumers ration their purchases or adjust the quantity that they they purchase. But the other way that we think about inflation is headline versus core. And sometimes headline is overall inflation in the economy core excludes food and energy. So read the article. We link to a bunch of other articles if you really want to get into this. But the main goal is if someone's talking about inflation, we have to really slow the conversation down and pull out 
three key questions. How soon, how much, for how long? Then part of that is, what are they talking about? What specific measure? Keep in mind, inflation is not the observation of one or two or three prices. It is across the entire economy. And so we always have to be very specific. And when we be specific, we can start to see this this story. One of the things to keep in mind is inflation. When folks think about inflation, we typically flash back to the 70s where we had inflation get above 10% on a couple different occasions in the 70s and early 80s. But keep in mind that entire decade had really high rates of inflation. In fact, I think inflation only fell below. I think inflation was rather low in the beginning of the decade, and it was well above anything we've observed in the last 15 or 20 years in this economy. And so over the last decade, we haven't seen inflation on an annualized basis creep above 2.5%. So we've had very low inflation in the economy. And that has potentially, I guess the arguments are out there, it's had some of its own challenges. So with the forecast network question we've teed up here is what's the probability of inflation in the US as measured by that personal consumption expenditure index getting above 3% for any month of 2021? So far we have January at 1.4%, February at 1.6%. And if you look back, we've only hit above that 3% mark one time in the last 10 years. So why do we pick that number? Because the Fed said they want to see 2.5% sustained. And so this idea, if we get above 3%, the Fed might be stepping in. Why is this important? I adjusted my expectations of the Fed changing interest rates in response to this question, because I looked back at this and said, well, the Fed's saying we got to get to 2.5% sustained. We've been hanging out at 1.5%. We need to really see this turn significantly. And of course, I will change my forecast as new data comes in. But this is sort of a, a balancing act of what's going on here. So again, inflation is something that we're all talking about, but we often aren't talking about the same thing. And one of the things I really want to point out is a lot of concern about this idea of double-digit inflation or really high levels of inflation. But the current status quo has been fairly low. But what happens if we sort of get to this 3% or 3.5% and we stay there for a sustained long period of time? Will the Fed step in at 3% or 3.5%? It's going to be this, obviously the Fed will step in and make dramatic changes at 10%, for example. But what will they do at 3%? What will they do at 4%? So that's really important to keep in mind. Another important article I think to, to look at is the backgrounder our teammate Sarah put together and really stuck all the tax proposals that are out there, a lot of potential changes on the horizon. And so we really wanted to step back and say, what are some of those ideas that are out there? So the second part here, shifting gears a little bit, we put together the yield guides for the 2021 growing season. We have associated forecast network questions. So first off, uh, when we look at corn yields, we looked at this and we said, you know, this upward trend. So why is the yield guide important? Let me back up for a second. First off, we're going to see the USDA next week, around I think it's the 13th, come out with, or maybe it's the 11th, the WASD report. And it's going to have a number somewhere around 179 bushels, maybe up to 180. The headline is going to be USDA predicts record large corn crop because the largest corn crop we've observed in history is about 176.6 bushels. That is the biggest reported number. And the trend yield just ignoring any sort of weather impact is 178. And the USDA typically bumps it up just a little more from there because they pull out some of these extreme weather events that they're able to capture early, early in the growing season. So we expect 178, 179, maybe up to 180 for that first USDA 
estimate. Now, that will be a record. What that ignores is this idea of trend and this idea that we, like inflation, we have to adjust things over time for this upward trend in years. And, and the trend here in soybeans or corn is about 2.13 bushels per year, which starts to add up. For example, an almost nine years ago was the year of 2012. Well, that came in at 123 bushels per acre. So we wouldn't expect 123 bushels in 2021 terms. We'd expect maybe somewhere close to 15, 20 bushels more because of this upward trend yield. So what we do in the yield guide is we say, what's that departure from trend? And how do we start to think about the range of possible outcomes? So if 178 is trend average, which by the way, above trend yields happen quite a bit, about 60% of the time for corn, 50% of the time for soybeans, what's the range of possible outcomes we get to this idea of the low sides, probably around 140, the a high side, probably well above 190, maybe getting close to that 200 bushel mark. 2004 is the high yield number for corn. It was 18 bushel above trend. So you take 178 plus 18, you get to 196 and a half. I was rounding there, uh, some of those numbers. So 196 bushels, 196 and a half. That's a really important takeaway. Now, the other thing I wanted to point out is for soybeans, it comes in around 50 bushels to the acre. This distribution of historic yields are a little more uniform here. They're still skewed more uh, or less skewed or more uniform than corn. So we see six bushels above, six bushels below. 1994 was the big soybean year, six bushels above trend. 2003 was the really bad year for soybeans, which were six bushels below trend. So we get this range somewhere around 44 to 56 bushels per acre. I also want to point out this idea that soybean yields, when we adjust for the trend over time, were considerably worse in 03, about 1.2 bushels more significantly worse than in 2012. So we often throw out this kind of vague 2012-like weather event. Well, a 2012-like weather event, it's a very different story for soybeans than it was for corn. Corn was a, a very significant departure, whereas soybeans were somewhat less significant. So we got to keep that in mind. There's a lot of correlation here, but they're not exactly perfect. The last thing I wanted to point out here, we're going to write about this a little bit more, is in the corn story, you should look, take a look at this. I looked at how do we measure trend and departure from trend? And I took four different examples here. One of them, or two of them were used data from 1960, and two of them used data since 1988. We use the data since 1988 because that's what the USDA uses in a lot of their estimates. We think that's probably a good thing to follow. And then we split the data again. Some cases we measured that departure from trend as a bushel, and sometimes we measured it as a percentage. Those have very different uh, expectations are very different outcomes. And so what's the probability of having corn yields above 190 bushels per acre? Well, in some cases, it happens about one out of 60 years. Sometimes it happens more than five or six times in 60 years. And so it starts to bring out this idea of what's the risk in the tails. There are four arguably valid ways to measure the possible outcomes of yields. And what's very interesting as we put this together is very, very different weights that get put into the tails. And so when we think about the extreme yield conditions, it's very hard to know if it's a one in 60 event or a one in 40 year event or a two in 40 uh, event. And those all seem unlikely, but 
they're a big difference. One of the first articles we wrote in the Ag Forecast about the Ag Forecast Network was a lot of times we put a lot of weight in this idea of the probability going from 45% to 55%. It seems like it sort of makes a big change. And we often put too much weight in that. If you think about it, if you're flipping a coin a hundred times, it's not going to really change all that much. But when we move from say 1% to 10%, that is a very, very different frequency. It's 10 times more likely. And a lot of times we really have to step back and think about, in some cases, these movements, especially in low probability events, we can really miss those by quite a bit. And we got to think about the implications of the risk of say, taxes going higher or some very doomsday event playing out at a one in a hundred chance or a two in a hundred chance, there's a very different risk where uh, sometimes we overweight this idea of going from 49% to 51%, especially around, around elections. Finally, one last thing I wanted to share with you before I sign off today. I'm pulling this out uh, from the ideas that make us better. This is one of my favorites. It's titled Because I Was Looking For It. It reminds me of this scene from uh, the 2009 Sherlock Holmes, the one that has Robert Downey Jr. in it. He foiled a trap that his friend, Dr. Watson, nearly walked into. It was this tiny, tiny piece of glass that was a knife. And if he had walked into it, it would have probably killed him. Sherlock finds this. He breaks the glass that was in the shape of a knife. And Dr. Watson turned to him and said, how did you see that? And Holmes, in his very witty way, said, because I was looking for it. And I think that's one of the things that we try to help you all with in the decision making. That's one of our goals here at AEI and with AEI Premium is to help you look for these things that might not be at the top of everyone's mind, might not be the top of the media cycle. So in doing this, we have, especially around the economic questions, we have several questions about the economy, about interest rates, inflation. Uh, We also have several questions coming in about production, total acreage, uh, that June acreage report, corn and soybean yields. Part of it is to help your thinking. So as you read these, challenge challenge your thinking. But part of it is to also help you update your forecast. But the goal here is to start thinking about what are the range of possible outcomes. And so you can imagine these scenarios where everyone says, oh, I can't imagine or I can't believe that X event happened. Well, in a lot of cases, was that a knowable event or, or was it an unknowable? And I think in a lot of cases, it's a surprise because we weren't looking for it. And I think part of what helps takes the sting out of uncertainty is thinking about those extreme cases and what can be out there. So I encourage you to read that article. It's from about a year or so ago. You can find it in the archive, Ideas That Make Us Better, because I was looking for it. And also thinking about all those economic articles we've been writing, about the yield questions we've been writing about. So the idea of 200 bushel corn in the U.S., a a national yield of 200 bushels, you can think about how likely or unlikely that is, but you can imagine all the people out there who haven't thought about it at all and how they could be saying, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe this was ever a possibility. And at some point in the future, we're going to have a really big crop, maybe 15 or 18 bushels above trend. And we have to prepare our thinking for that. What is the possibility of those outcomes? Also, we know that a 2012-like event for corn is like 36 bushels below trend. And what are the implications of that? Also, um, with that, I'll leave you with a quote that I think is really relevant to this topic. And I forget who exactly shared it. So some of the, one of the readers can get it out there. We can include that in the newsletter. It's the future is already here. It's just not uniformly distributed. So the idea here is that 
as an individual, uh, we can't know all the frontiers of all the exciting things that are coming. So when we pick up a newspaper and read about this new technology or this new scientific discovery, it's already been known by other people for quite a while and they understand it a whole lot more. So this idea of the future is here. There's just some things that we haven't learned yet or we aren't aware of yet, and they will eventually work its way to us more broadly. So all of this is to help you all stay curious and stay on the cutting edge of what's happening in agriculture. So thanks so much for joining us. We'll catch up next week. We're getting a great lineup of guest hosts joining us as Brent's out and getting his crop planted and focusing on that. So thanks so much for joining us. We'll catch you all next week. In the meantime, stay curious.